Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Rabina podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist simply seeing more people more like Jesus by planning and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us for Dinner with Jesus, a series exploring transformative mealtime encounters found in the Gospels. Together, we will discover the depths of these moments, revealing Jesus' mission of redemption through love and grace. We pray this message is a blessing. Friends, why don't you stay standing as I read the Word of God. I get the privilege of stepping into our Dinners with Jesus series. And uh, let me move into the sermon by reading the passage of Scripture we will be talking about today. Mark, sorry, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. And as Jesus and His disciples were on their way, He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to Him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what He said. But Martha was distracted, everyone say distracted, by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Him and asked, Lord, don't You care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. This is the Word of the Lord. All right, why don't you guys grab yourselves a seat, and as you do, tap to the person next to you and say, I hope he preaches short. Hey, since none of you did that, I take it as permission to go for as long as I want. Turn to the person next to you and say, hey, I hope he preaches short. Amen. Amen. Longer, I'm here and longer. Do I have a second longer in the room? No, I'm kidding. That's not how this works. Wow, we, wow. where were you during the finance section? <laughs> anyway, friends, uh, when I was young, I was the youth pastor of this church and I had a moment to actually go overseas on, on a professional development trip. I got invited to you know, attend a couple of conferences and be just a participant there, which is amazing. And my wife, Sarah, at the time, we didn't have kids. It was a great time of all those who remember that moment when you could travel with our children. And we were excited. She said, you should go. But I knew we were early in our marriage, so I couldn't go uh, without investing into my marriage. And so I said, sweetheart, why don't you and I go away for a night and then you drop me off at the airport um, the next day? She's like, this will be great. I booked a great hotel in Brisbane, which on a master's wage happens like once every five years. And then like we were booked a restaurant, which I knew she would love. And I was so excited. And we jumped in the car, packed everything, locked the house, left no kids behind because they didn't exist yet. So it was amazing. And as we're driving to Brisbane, I could just feel, I don't know when you feel like, if you're on holidays, there's like this tension that's rising, but it's good tension. It's like, we are excited. And it was this sense of palpable excitement for the night ahead. And then my phone rang. I looked down as one of my youth leaders. I'm like, hey, sweetheart, are you, are you okay if I pick this up? Now, that was the first mistake I made on the night. For those of you who know, date nights should have rules. Date days should have rules. And if you're going away for two weeks, the answer I should have already told myself was no. But Sarah answered um, with this affirmation that wasn't really an affirmation. She said, sure. <laughs> now, anytime you hear sure, let me tell you, friends, here's some free marriage counselling. It does not mean yes. It means you answer that at your own peril. I like to live my life on the edge. So I did. Picked up the phone, answered the youth leader, helped them out with that situation, hung up the phone. And, you know, it seemed like things were back to normal. And we arrived to the hotel, checked in. We got into our room. It was immaculate. I'd done well. I was like, I'm doing good tonight. And my phone rang again. I looked at my wife and said, oh, I think they've just contacted me back. Um, can I pick that up? She looked at me again and said, sure, honey. I'm like, ooh, Honey was at it at the end. This is getting serious. But I'm like, no, no, this will be the last time. Pick up the phone. Anyway, for the rest of that night, every hour I got a phone call from this youth leader trying to ask what they should do the next step in this situation. 
And part of me, because I was this young youth pastor, was like, I am the only person they can ring in a church filled with 10 other pastors, 10 elders, and like a couple thousand people. It all rises on me, right? Foolish. But I'm sitting there at dinner, picking up the phone. And then as we get back to the hotel, after I'd just hung up for like the fifth time on this youth leader, we walk into the room after wined and dined, ate it beautifully, it was amazing. Brisbane was beautiful. I'm like, she's gonna be so in love with me now. This is so good. Walked into the room, I'm like, honey, babe, have you not just had the best night? She looked at me and she said, sure. (laughs) And I realised in that moment, that we needed to probably unpack some things. I said, well, what's wrong? She's like, well, you've not been here, have you? I said, sweetheart, I don't know if you were looking at me, but I was sitting right across from you the whole night. I'm here in this room. I've been with you. She's like, but you've not been present. You've not been attentive. You've been distracted. And I didn't want dinner. I didn't want a hotel. I wanted you. And I realised in that moment, I'd made a massive mistake. I allowed distraction to rob my marriage of a really significant night, a beautiful moment where I could love her and before I headed off overseas and I dropped the ball. But friends, isn't that true that for most of us, we live our lives distracted. We live our lives always kind of thinking about more than one thing. And we do this because the world around us is increasingly complex. But distraction, while sometimes can be a good thing when you're in pain or walking through something hard, distraction can alleviate that. But sometimes distraction is really unhelpful. No one really enjoys meeting someone that's distracted. If you went to the dentist this week and as they were doing your root canal, said, I'm so sorry, I'm just a little bit distracted today. You'd probably say, get your hands out of my mouth. Go to the doctor and they want to do an open bypass on your chest. And they go, hey, before we do this, letting you know I've got some stuff happening at home. So I might have to duck in and out a little bit. I'm a little bit distracted. You'd be like, can anybody else do this? Why? Because when those stakes are so high, we don't want distraction, but we forget and we fail to realise, friends, the stakes are that high for us every day. I believe that many of us are struggling in our life, in our walk with Jesus, because we are distracted. We are distracted. We have a Saviour that wants nothing more than to know you, than to walk with you, than to talk with you. And we say, I don't know where God is as we check our phone for the 30th time in a minute. We are distracted individuals and that's what this story is about. Now, we have to move fast today. So we're going to verse 38. In verse 38, we read simply this. As Jesus and His disciples were on their way, He came to a village. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Let's just pause. This sets the story up so well. It's great what Jesus is doing. I don't know if you've you've ever heard this before or or understood that Jesus is countercultural in this moment. You see, it was scandalous for a woman to invite a man into her home back in those days. In these days, it might just seem like great new life culture. Hey, come back to our place for lunch, you and all your disciples. But back in those days, women should not have invited a rabbi back to their place. And already we see the character of God that He, he makes a priority not to just eat anywhere, but to eat at the place of a local woman. Why? Because Jesus' kingdom came to do something different. Now, in our day and age, we, we believe in the equality of males and females. And that's a beautiful thing. But back then, to be a woman was not to be something equal. In fact, Pharisees used to pray, thank God you didn't make me a Gentile, a dog or a woman. That's scandalous. But here we see God's kingdom rewrite the story. 
And so he steps into Martha's home and something else happens. See, did he just step into Martha's home so that Martha could just cook him meals? So that him and his disciples could just have a woman wait on him hand and feet? No, no, no. See, we actually find by what Mary did, Jesus was really intentional. What does it say? Mary sat at Jesus' feet. Now, this can sound offensive, like Jesus was on a high chair and that Mary was down there and He was talking down to her. But back in those days, they didn't have high chairs. They all sat on the ground. So the sit at Jesus' feet was to sit close to Him and, and, and on the same level as Him. Why is that significant? Because there's only one other place in the Bible where this Greek is actually used. The Bible, we read it in English, was originally written in Greek. In Acts chapter 22, verse 3, Paul writes this. He says, I'm a Jew born in, Tar- in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of, the, of our ancestors. Now that word I studied under Gamaliel, depending on what translation you have, is actually I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. So Paul's training as a Pharisee and rabbi was communicated in Greek as sitting at the feet of a rabbi who could teach him the same way that Mary was invited to sit at the feet of Jesus. When women would have been excluded, Jesus includes them. Now, depending on your theological backgrounds, you you may struggle with that. But here as a church, we believe that both males and females are encouraged to learn and study and lead in Jesus' Name. And here we see that Jesus doesn't just ask Martha to cook. He invites Mary to sit and learn and glean. Because friends, Jesus comes to rewrite cultural narratives and cultural norms. This is the character of the God that we get to serve and the character of Jesus who steps into our world. Friends, if you are a woman in this church, you are not less. We're friends. I pray that God empowers your leadership, calls you to lead and that we'd find places to celebrate that as a church. Amen. But then where is Martha? As this cultural revolution is taking place in her living room, where is Martha? We read in the next verse where Martha was. But Martha was, cool, one person's with me today, awesome. But Martha was, the more you lean in, the faster it will be. The Martha was distracted all for, by all the preparations that she had to make. Now it didn't say Martha, Martha was focused on all the preparations she had to make and say Martha was, was helping out by all the preparations she had to make. No, uses a word there. Martha was distracted. And I say this, friends, because I believe that what's highlighted in this story is that she's missing the main point of what's happening in her living room. Why? Because she's distracted. And friends, aren't we all distracted? How many of you right now are not thinking about this, but are thinking about lunch? Picking the kids up driving home, re-engaging that conversation that you and your spouse said, let's just pause this till after church. A couple of people. Distraction is powerful. And here's what I want to suggest today. If you are not yet a believer in Jesus, I believe distraction is antithetical to your flourishing. If you are a believer in Christ, I believe that distraction is one of the most powerful things that can actually pull your attention away from what He's longing to do in your heart. A guy named John Bloom says it like this. Distraction, at least the dangerous kind I'm referring to, is shifting our attention from something of greater importance to something of lesser importance. Our fundamental and most dangerous problem in distraction is being distracted from God. Our tendency to shift our attention orientation from the greatest object in existence to countless lesser ones. The Bible calls this 
idolatry. And friends, when I say the word idolatry, maybe some of you are thinking, Michael, are we talking about that we're creating statues and we're all worshipping them? A great way to understand idolatry is idolatry is anything in your life from which you derive your core value, your worth, and which you believe you cannot live without. Friends, we don't need to make idols when Apple crafts them for us. When they place them in our hands, that our minds might be continually filled with information we don't need. We live in a moment called the, where they define it as the attention economy where the longer that you are focused on a screen or looking at a social media activity or looking at your phone, your attention is being sold to the highest bidder. The reason why social media, why Netflix, why all these things exist is because your attention is able to be sold to other people. We think that we're the consumer when actually the world has called us the product. And we've become addicted to things that I believe we think that there is a spiritual force out there to get us, like the enemy is like working and trying to convince us God doesn't exist and convince us that Jesus isn't real. I don't think the enemy doesn't have to convince us God doesn't exist. He just has to distract us long enough till we stop caring about asking the question at all. And we have a new level of addiction by the things that distract us. It's not just technology that distracts us, is it friends? It's our careers, it's our, it's our money. It's our value, it's our worth, it's our relationship. Friends, sometimes it's our kids. Amen. Guys, I've got a four, two and a like 10 week old. Can I have some other, a brother or sister? Amen with me to that. Man, sometimes I'm waking up in the morning, I'm praying to God. And I've got like, you know, a two-year-old putting his butt in my face and laughing. And I'm like, this feels so holy right now, Jesus. Thank you for distractions. Get behind me. No, I don't go there. But, but there's this moment, right? And, and the problem is that when we don't think that this is serious, we actually fail to see what's happening at a core level. Cal Newport says addiction is this. Addiction is a condition in which a person engages in use of a substance or in a behaviour for which the rewarding effect provide a compelling incentive to repeatedly pursue the behaviour despite detrimental consequences. Cal Newport, non-Christian, wrote a book called Digital Minimalism. And he defines this as addiction. When it defines like this, you start to see some of us are addicted not just to social media, but to our careers, to some relationships in our life, to a sense of worth and value, to hobbies that we just keep chasing, thinking they'll fulfill us and they never do. The amount of times I chat with young adults, the fact that it's been proven, TikTok is eroding a generation's brain. And they go, I don't care, it feels good. That's addiction speaking, not wisdom. When we chase our careers because one more piece of money will make us feel like we've achieved something and we're worth something, that's addiction. That's not wisdom. There's nothing wrong with social media per se or careers or money, relationships or kids in Jesus', in Jesus name, edge of the stage. But there is something wrong when we make a secondary thing an ultimate thing in our lives. Because we pursue it thinking it will satisfy us and we're distracted by secondary things when the attention of the one who loves us, who longs for you to be known, to repair relationship with you, to actually give you life and life to the fullest, sitting in the living room and wondering if you'll come and wait. If you'll come and wait. John Mark Comer says it like this. For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith, it is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. Martha's performing in the kitchen. 
But what do we miss so much in our lives is that Jesus isn't longing for our performance, but our attention. Mary Oliver says it like this, attention is devotion. When I was with my wife in Brisbane, but babe, I got you dinner. Whoa, I got you a hotel room. This is amazing. But she didn't have my attention. Did she have my heart? Friends, what has your attention today? What has your attention? And is that which has your attention bringing you life and life to the full? Story goes on. And Mary comes and she says to Jesus, she walks into the room and says, Lord, don't you care that my sisters left me to do the work by myself? Don't you care? This is familiar language for me. I don't know if it's familiar language for you. Don't you care, God? Hey, God, just want to let you know this isn't where I thought I'd be by 34. Don't you care? Hey, God, I've been, I've been trying to be a good dad, a good husband, a good pastor, a good man, a good Christian, and things aren't working out for me the way I wanted them to. Don't you care? Don't you care is language of when our agenda and our expectations are not fulfilled by the God that we think should care a little more than He seems to. Don't you care, God, that I'm single? Don't you care, God, that we're struggling right now in this moment of pain? Don't you care, God, that this isn't how I thought 2023 would play out? Anyone said that this year? Anyone being like, man, I thought 2023 was meant to be my year. I'm hedging my bets on 2024 at this stage. <laughs> what are we ultimately saying? Jesus, I invited you into my home so you could do what I wanted. See what I needed you to see. I didn't invite you in my home so you could have your agenda. And this is the core of the issue, isn't it? Here we actually see what's going on for Martha. Martha wasn't serving to be seen. Sorry, Martha wasn't serving out of the goodness of her heart to, to love those people. How do you know this? Because she doesn't go to Mary. She doesn't go, hey, Mary, just letting you know, chicken's burning. The couscous needs to be taken off the oven. I need, it. I need some help. Can you come help me out? She doesn't. She goes to Jesus. Why? Because it wasn't about her being helped. It was about her being seen. She wasn't serving out of this overflow of who she was. She was serving that people go, isn't Martha, you're Martha in the kitchen. Can you hear me? You're the real MVP. Mary's lazy. You got it all together. She was serving to be seen. How many times do we do things to be seen? Hope they see that I'm a good dad. Hope they see that I'm a good businesswoman. Hope they see that I'm trying my best. Hope they see me. And I wonder if Jesus is looking at us and saying, but do you see me? Do you see that I'm waiting for you? That I'm longing for you to know me? Friends, there's some of you in this room today that are non-Christians, you don't yet know Jesus. And the whole world around you is telling you that you need to have a bigger profile, a bigger career to be seen. And you need to know the God of heaven, Jesus Christ Himself sees you exactly where you are, but He calls you out of this economy of attention deficit, this economy of comparison. It says, come and sit with me that you might have true value and true worth and true life but our attention is given to other things, to other things. And so friends, I wonder today in this story, who you relate to more, are you more Mary or are you more Martha? 
Martha saw obligation, Mary saw opportunity. Martha saw expectation, Mary saw transformation. Martha saw cultural barriers, Mary saw a cultural shift. Why? Because her eyes were on Jesus, whilst Martha, her eyes were on finding and fulfilling and getting value from her idol. Someone's influenced my life deeply, Tim Keller describes an idol like this. An idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give, anything that is so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. Martha's idol was performance. I'm only as good as I can entertain. And friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ does not call us to perform The Gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't say, hey, before you get in, you must do. The Gospel of Jesus Christ says done. And if you're a non-Christian in the room today, if you don't know who Jesus is, let me tell you this. Jesus doesn't have a list of things you need to do before He loves you. He loves you right now. He saves you right now. He wants to forgive you right now, not because you've done enough, but because He is enough. And some of us in this room who are Christians think, yeah, I hope someone's listening. We need to listen to this. Because we've forgotten and our lives have become about being the best parent we can be, the father we can be, forgetting validation about how great a mom and businesswoman we are at the same time and being validated by external resources other than be validating by the one who in your worthless estate saw you so beautiful, so loved that He died for you a death that you should have died after living a life that you could not live. Why? Because He wanted to tell you, get out of the rat race and have value and worth and from that place live in the world. And he says, all I want is your attention. So as the world says, look at me, Jesus says, no, 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 come here. Let me give you true love, true life. Friends, is what is getting your attention, giving you the life that God has planned for you? And this is hard. As a father with four children, four children, I do not have four children in Jesus' Name. And that is not prophetic. Can someone bind that? Awesome. Father with a four-year-old, a two-year-old and a 10-week-old. This is hard. Because what we're talking about here is is actually when we look at our calendar and our time, how much of it is God's? Can I tell you with two sons that think that 5.15 is a good time to wake up in the morning? It's rough. But I know that if I don't give Jesus my attention in my day, I'm not a great person. I'm pretty grumpy. They don't get a good dad. So it means for me, I go to bed earlier so that I can wake up at 4.30. I'm not saying that to perform for you, friends. I'm saying that because I know the pressure of this world that when I wake up and I go to spend time with Jesus, I, my mind immediately gets filled with 50 other things I could do. I'm like, maybe I should, you know, check the news, which I never worry about checking the news until I go and spend time with Jesus. Maybe I should check if there's any washing in the laundry. I don't care if there's any washing in the laundry until I go spend time with Jesus. I, there's all these distractions that happen in my world. As soon as I decide to give Jesus my detention, attention, it's like this whole spiritual warfare starts happening around me. It's like, go watch paint dry instead. And I'm like, that's a viable option right now actually. Why? Because we forget that we are in a spiritual warfare for our attention and if Jesus can receive it, the world might be transformed and our lives might become better. And I call us to attention today to say, hey friends, does Jesus have your attention and your affection? Not because we have to, but because it's the only source of life available to us. And He longs to give it to you and He says to Martha, 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 
you're worried about many things. You're worried about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and will not be taken from her. And some of you are in this place today, you've never known the love of Jesus. The reason why I wake up early and spend time with Jesus isn't because I'm some super Christian friends. There's nothing that feels super Christian about 4.30 in the morning. If you wanna pray Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come back, wake up at 4.30, you'll be praying it a lot. But it's because there's this sense of like, in a world that says, I will be loved if, I need to spend time with the one that says, you are loved because. Every day. My family needs that, my world needs that, I need that. Someone came to me at the end of the first service and like, Michael, I just, I'm really angry at your sermon because you know I'm a grandmother, I look after my grandkids, I'm serving at morning tea at church. And she's like, are you telling me that I have to just stop doing that all and just go sit at Jesus' feet? I've got to be clear, that is not what I am saying. Please don't go home when someone asks you to wash up the dishes, be like, no, I'm just gonna go sit at Jesus' feet actually because I listened to the sermon. The story before this is the story of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus says to the teacher of the law, go and do. But he says to Mary, come and sit. Why? Not because it's about coming and sitting or going and doing, but being in a space where you can hear what God is saying right now and responding to his direction. It's not about calming, just cancelling everything out of your life. But how much of our lives actually give Jesus' attention so we know that we are doing what he's called us to right now? And when we don't, we, we, we carry the world like Martha. We're weighed down by things that Jesus never asked us to be weighed down by. There's a church in Revelation that was like this. It's a church in Revelation that Jesus writes to in chapter two through his prophet John. His church in Revelation receives the Word of God and God paints a picture for us that actually sounds a lot like Martha. They're doing good stuff. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says to a church that I wonder is a little similar to new life at times. I know your deeds, Jesus says. Your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hard things for my name and you and have not grown weary. This is a great church, right? It's a church where Jesus is saying, you guys are killing it. You got over 500 people under the age of 18. That's awesome. New Life Cares feeding the poor during the week. Great. That's fantastic. Crossroads is happening. Brilliant. You're you're serving. You're loving your family. That's so great. He says all these things. You're washing up in the kitchen or preparing meals. There's nothing wrong with that. But I hold this against you, Jesus says. I hold this against you in the next verse. You have forgotten, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Some of us have become so distracted by doing that we've forgotten that we're first called to be a child of God, a disciple and in love with Him. I want to challenge us today about what this actually means for us to have lost our first love, the love that called us out of darkness into light. So I wrote a list to finish with today, a list that, God's revealed to me is true of me when God doesn't have my attention, when God doesn't have my affection and when I've lost the first love. This is true for me when I can't recall the last time Jesus God truly had my attention. I know I've lost my first love in God when in the midst of a crisis seeking God isn't the top of my list. I know I've lost my first love when asked if God loves me 
or you, I instantly validate his love based on my actions and his character, not his character. I know I've lost my first love when my schedule's packed, but my spirit's exhausted. When church, discipleship, small groups and devotion are obligations, not pathways to thriving. When the surface appears spotless, but inside there's bitterness and anger and pain. When I derive my self-worth from comparing myself to others. When confession and repentance aren't regular practices in my life. When Jesus serves as like a mini Yoda or a mini advisor, but not my King. When sinning no longer grieves me, but it's just become a part of my life in a way I function. Friends, if, if you like me find yourself on that list at times, it's not a moment to feel guilty. It's a moment to be called back. Jesus' answer is, if this is you, repent and turn and do what you did at first. See, the word repent, we think repent means go and like, you know, whip yourself and be like, oh, I'm such a bad. Repent just simply means this. If you're walking in this way, repent, turn around and go the other direction. Jesus is simply saying this. Hey, friends, if you're overwhelmed in the kitchen and you need to be seen, come sit at my feet and I will see you. If you're doing a whole bunch of stuff so you might earn someone's favour, come and know you have my favour and my love and my goodness. And Jesus gave us a gift, a gift of communion to remind us of this, that when we gathered, we would have a moment to remember something that should nourish our souls and remind us of the affection and attention we consistently have of God. When we take communion together as a church, what happens in that moment is we pause and we remember the narrative that we are in. It's not a narrative of striving and performance, but a narrative of grace. It's not a narrative of earning, but it's a narrative when everything has been done that needs to be done so that we might know the love and affection of God, be sent into the world, feeding on His body and His blood, released to love others as we are loved. So friends, when was the last time God had your attention? Why don't we give it to Him now? And remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took bread. He said, whenever you break this bread, you do it in remembrance of me. You do it in remembrance that my body was broken so yours didn't have to be. Friends, we, we feast on the body of Christ today to remind ourselves of how much we need Him. He took a cup and He said, whenever you drink of this cup, you do it in remembrance of me. This is my blood shed for you so yours didn't have to be. Friends, maybe you're a non-Christian here today and you're sitting there and going, we're feasting on God's body and blood. This is super weird. I say this every time. Yes, it is. It's bizarre. Unless it's true. Because right now we're eating together and feasting on the body and blood of Christ and saying, remind my soul where its attention really needs to be. So I'm gonna pray now and ask that that attention would not just be an idea, but a moment for us. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Gracious Father, Lord, You don't wanna walk us, us to walk out of this place with guilt today, but with a sense of longing for the bread of life as Stacey spoke about last week. For a longing for the only thing that can nourish our souls and form us into who we're called to be. Would You shape us? 
Lord, reveal to us the moments in our life where we've been more distracted and our focus has never been on You. Lord God, reveal to us the moments in our life where You've asked us to go and do, but really we've ignored and done our own things because we weren't speaking or listening to You. Father, I pray that we would not be a church like Martha or Mary. Would we be a people like Jesus? Give us Your heart, Lord God, we pray. In Jesus' Name. So friends, this is the body of Christ broken for you, would you pull back that first layer and rip it now? And as we feast today, taking this moment and say, Jesus, thank You. Thank You. I am nothing without Your grace. Let's eat together. And as you're able, would you stand with us and hold the cup? Friends, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Let's drink together. And so Lord, I pray right now, whether we're online or in the room, Would You receive not only our attention, but our affection? We need to know You, Lord. We need to be loved by You. But Lord, the world needs more people, more like Jesus. And we become like who we hang around. So make us, help us to make You a priority in our week, not because, Lord God, we have to, but because we desperately want to and need to. Fill our hearts with a fresh desire to spend time with You and gaze upon Your infinite beauty and be marked by Your beautiful presence. We pray these things in Jesus' Name. And all God's people said, Amen. Friends, we're about to sing a song. And I wonder if we, as we do that, um, we didn't do this in the first service, but I wanna do it now. Can I ask the um, small group leaders and section leaders just to move to the front of your section? Um, that'd, be, that'd be fantastic. If you're a small group leader or section leader, if you could just come forward um, and prepare to pray. I just wanna create a moment that uh, maybe you're, you're here and, and something I've said today has stirred something in your life. And you're saying, you know, God, I actually wanna to return to my first love. Maybe you're here today and you've never known Jesus as your first love, but man, the idea of someone praying with you and for you right now would just would fill your heart with hope. I believe this, I think repentance isn't just something we do in our hearts. It's actually something can t- at times require physical action. Friends, I wonder if you would come forward and receive prayer. If you need to just come and just pray, hey God, be the, be the first love of my life again. Why? Because your workplace doesn't need someone that's distracted by the world, but focused on Jesus tomorrow. May you come out of boldness. And may we break pride that we know the best place is to be found is at the feet of Jesus, asking for Him to love us again. Come as you need as we sing this song together. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you would like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray you have a great week. Be blessed.